Schultz. Good morning, everyone. I'm really happy to be here this morning. Uh, it's been two years since I've been in, in the United States, and this is the end of my three-week trip. The main point to come to the United States was to be at our conference in New Jersey to have talk about some strategy and to be at the mission conference. But it's really good to be here. It's good to see a lot of you. Some of you, like, I said, like Lucas said, I know, and some of you I don't know. I'm happy to see people I don't know. That means things are happening in this church and people are joining. So it's good that you're here and I'm happy to be here today. But I'd like to talk to you about something in the Word of God. Sometimes, for those of us who are Christians, and some of us are not, but those of us who are, we know that there's a certain life that we're looking for. We talk about life. And what does the word life mean? I want to look at a verse in the Bible, and that would be in John 17, verse 3. And here we see Jesus praying. And Jesus praying to the... Uh, to the Father, and the disciples were listening. He was about to be crucified, and he said something. He said, in verse 3, John 17, 3, he said, Now this is eternal life, that you may know the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life means knowing God. You know, I didn't know what that meant before when I was younger, but then I realized that I connected it with something else in the Old Testament. Many of you who've read the Bible know that uh, God told Adam when he was in the Garden of Eden, you cannot eat of the fruit of the tree of good and evil. The day you eat of it, you will surely die. You will die. Well, he ate of the fruit, and physically he did not die. But we see this in John 17. Life is knowing God, is, and death must mean separation from God. He did die that day. He did surely die because he was afraid of God. He hid when God was there. So death means separation from God. Life means connection with God. And this is what it is to be a Christian. This is why we come to church. This is why we read the Word, because we want connection with God. And if you know yourself, you know you've been designed this way. You've been designed by God to connect with Him, to pray to Him, to be a part of His will, to be His extension on this earth. That is the point of life. So people ask, what is life? What's the meaning of life? The meaning of life is to be connected to God. The meaning of life is to do his bidding on this earth. And that's, that's, the way, that's the meaning of life. And when you understand that, so much in life makes sense. So much in life makes sense. Why do we crave for things? Why do we want things? Because deeper inside of us, there's something there that is just designed to be close to God, that wants God. In uh, Psalm verse 42, chapter 42, or in Psalm 42, uh, verses 1 and 2, we see something amazing. And a lot of you already know this verse, but in Psalm 42, verse 1, and this is a song, but it was first in the Bible, and it says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? And it goes on. We have a long passage here, but I want to Focus on the first point, as the deer pants for streams of water. You ever get that? You're outside, you're thirsty, maybe you're doing exercise, and you really got to have water. That's the way it is. That's the soul. That's the deepest part of you works that way. You want God. Sometimes you, some of you know it, some of you don't. And those of us who are Christians, we are discovering it more and more. I've been at this for over 30 years, and I'm realizing I want more of God all the time. I hear the same old Bible stories, but they're not boring to me. Uh, because it's the same thing. It's life. It's life. And when life is there, you want it, and you want it bad. So when we get rid of all the other things in our lives and all the distractions that we have, uh, we understand we've been designed to get close to God. 
You know, I live in Taiwan. In Taiwan, we've been there for 20 years, and it's kind of a small place. You'll see some more pictures in a, in a few minutes after I'm finished preaching. But uh, I come here to the United States, and it's back to the same house that I've been in since 1974, since I was nine years old. And I just think, wow, huge. This place is huge. Every time I can't, I see St. Charles Road there in Hillside and Berkeley. It's like, wow, all this cement, you know. And I look over here and all this extra space. And I think, wow, it's beautiful. You just live in a lap of luxury here. You know, this is unbelievable. And um, when that happens, sometimes you can forget what life is about. Life is not about enjoying yourself and living in heated. We have, don't have heat in the winter in Taiwan, so it's kind of cold inside. But uh, you have heat here and everything. It's just beautiful. But you know, life isn't about that. We've been designed to connect with God. And so I have a little example here. Because we are like a glove. You know, a glove is used only in cold weather. In Taiwan, we don't really use these too often because it's not cold enough mostly in the winter. Sometimes it is. But a glove is just there. It looks good. And maybe sometimes it sits there somewhere, you know, for several months and you don't use it. But this glove was designed to have a hand inside. And once the hand is inside the glove, then the glove is actually useful, and then it actually can do things. But the thing is, our lives are like this hand, are like this glove. We are like a glove, and the glove is, uh, can look good, but it needs to be filled with something else. Our lives need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, with God working through us, through His Word and through His Spirit. This is why we are here. And to be uh, Christians, we start, are starting to figure that out. That once the hand is inside the glove, well, then you can live. Then you can do the right thing. But today, before I talk more about that, I want to get to our main verse uh, for today, which is in Revelation chapter 3, uh, verses 1, uh, actually 1 and 2 mainly. But this is a message that Jesus spoke to uh, to the churches. And there's a church in western Turkey which is called Sardis. It's not there anymore. But in those days, they were, uh, Jesus spoke to the church. And this is what he said in Revelation 3, 1 and the following. It says, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains, and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I have come to you. It goes on, but the point is, verse 1, it says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. A reputation for being alive, but you are dead. You know, we... Those of us who are Christians, are baptized, we go to church, we read the word, we pray. We have a reputation for being alive. Because being alive, remember, is connection to this God, connection to Jesus. But some people are dead. So this, this was an uh, indictment of the church in Sardis. That they were, the church apparently was doing well and people thought, hey, this is an alive church. This is a place where things are happening. But it really wasn't. They were dead on the inside. And that's what I want to talk about today. See, if we... Uh, know what's right, but we don't do it, then it's like we're dead. It's like we have a form of Christianity. We have a form of being there, but not really. I see in the Western society here, I live in Taiwan, so it, sometimes you look at it a little differently. There seems to be a sort of a decline in the church here in North America and in Europe. And part of the reason is because people accuse us of being fake, of being phony, of having a form of godliness. They don't say it that way, but, but there's nothing there. And that's where we need to uh, look at our own lives. You know, I know that there's sometimes 
there's some examples I want to bring up, and some of them are personal examples, but it show, it's what the Lord has been teaching me over the years of what it is to really be alive in God, to be connected to God. Now, many of you know I'm married. I've been married now for 25 years. We just uh, celebrated 25 years not too long ago, so it's a long time. And when I was a kid, I thought 25, that's pretty old. Well, I don't feel that old, too, but, uh, you know, it happens, you know. So we're, we've been at it for 25 years, and I've realized that oftentimes, especially when you're younger and you don't understand these things, you don't have what it really takes to do it, in the, to have a marriage in a godly way. Because we're so used to uh, standards that we hear from outside and we want to, you know, look good and everything, and sometimes we get to be critical with our spouses. You know, we've been married uh, for a long time, but it seems like a lot of people, and the more I pastor, the more I hear these stories, you know, that people just can't stand their husband. They can't stand their wives. You know, sometimes women get together in Taiwan, and if they're not careful, they start, you know, complaining about their husbands. But that's only in Taiwan, right? Yeah, yeah, I know how it goes. Culture, you know. But um, it works that way sometimes. And sometimes men, we don't, the reality is, uh, women, sorry, we don't talk about you that much, actually, you know. But people have their problems. People have their problems in their lives, and they're not happy with people. So it seems like a lot of Christian men, they might want to say, well, sure, I love you. And we'd have a great marriage if you just, you know, lose a few pounds and look a little better and maybe make a little more money and, you know, be... Uh, raise up the kids the way I want you to and just basically, you know, just do everything I want. That's all. Not a big deal. We'd have a great marriage then, you know? And that's what people are thinking in their minds. They don't say it. Of course, it sounds crazy, but that's what people think. You know, sometimes the other is true with wives towards their husbands. You know, they're unhappy because he's not doing this right, he's not doing that right. He throws his socks there and he, you know, he burps and he does this, you know, all kinds of crazy things. And because of all that, well, you know, you're not jumping up to the, the, the measure that I told you to. And because of that, a lot of marriages are the same way. You know, they have a form, they have a reputation for being alive. Oh, we love each other. You know, people hand hand in hand, they kiss in public. Oh, look how much we love each other after all these years. You know, um, I think most of the time, this is my personal opinion, you can take it for what you think it's worth, but I think 80% of the time, if you've been married for more than a year, you feel the need always to walk around hand in hand, you know, hug and all this kind of stuff. You're just playing a game because I've seen it the other way around. But there are real marriages, there are marriages that are like this. I'm going to add this to my sermon. I wasn't thinking about it earlier, but I remember our Werner Engelman. This is good, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> this is good. He and his wife, I never saw them walking around hand in hand, kissing, you know, hug, this kind of thing. But I know they had a good marriage. You know how I know that? Because one time when I was in high school, I was talking to his son, Harold, and somehow we were mentioning things, talking about situations, and he said, oh, my parents, they hardly ever fight. I thought, wow, I wouldn't have known, you know? But when people accidentally say things like that, it's the truth. And that is a mark of a good marriage. Maybe not other, maybe other people don't know it, but you know it. And I found it's true that when you start to think differently, when you separate love from performance, that you just love because God told you to. And not wait until she's the way you want her to be. That's the key to a happy marriage. And I can tell you honestly, we've been at it for 25 years. The last five years, in my mind, in my heart, are better and sweeter than the first five. And that's the truth. Even though she's sick, even though I have to do housework now, I have to come home. Yeah, I didn't used to do much housework. But um, I do now, so I actually, I actually know what to do now in the kitchen. It's kind of weird. But, uh, <laughs> but um, 
sometimes I'm out doing stuff or with people. I come back home. I don't sit down just right away into the kitchen, quick, you know, get something together and, uh, and just do it. And we eat and uh, things like that. And I actually feel good about it, you know, because it used to, when you, when you don't know how to do anything in the kitchen, you sit down, you look at the food. Well, I don't know what this is. All right. You know, but, but when you do it yourself, you just think differently. You know what I mean? And these are the things that God is teaching me that love doesn't mean I wait until she is the way I want her to be. Love means I just, just take her the way she is and love anyways. And that is the key to a happy marriage. And I'm not just saying that because we've been separated for three weeks now, you know, I'm going to go home tomorrow. But, um, it's, it's true, and I've, I've seen it. At pastoring in Taiwan, I see some marriages that are just horrible, where people just really don't like each other, don't love each other. I was once uh, talking to a man. He's not a Christian, and we were doing uh, some English classes. The wife is in our church or was in our church, and she's sort of a uh, Christian on the fringes, really. And I know they were having problems, and one time I talked to him, well, you need to love your wife, and he was sitting there, and he went, kind of like that, you know, kind of weird. I said, love. when I said the word love, he just reacted physically because he meant he would want, he'd want to smack her. He doesn't. He doesn't hit her. But he probably wants to. And um, that's because I know that they're just having a horrible relationship. Love doesn't work that way. So if we, we are Christians, see, the Bible says, uh, Jesus said to this church in Sardis, you have a reputation of being alive. That's what life is. Life is loving your spouse. You know, it's... Uh, it's uh, not hard to be a good Christian to be a, when, when you're a good husband. It's pretty hard to be a good Christian when you're a bad husband. So there's less stress when you just give in and just accept her, accept him as they are. You can see them, you can be happy. They come home, or you come home and you see them and say, Hi, you, uh, you have a smile on your face, you have a twinkle in your eye. It's true, it's fun. I like it. Do it, please, do it. Don't divorce. But just... Go, just go the other way. You know, realize that that's what the, the, uh, the Word of God tells us, to love. And so a form, a reputation of, of godliness, that's what Christians are supposed to have. But when other non-Christians look at us and say, well, you Christians get divorced and you don't like each other, you fight all the time, and your church is split, you know, they don't want to see that. They want to see something good. They want to see something real. They want to join us. But if they say, but if it's like that, if you guys are just like everyone else, No. So people want to see something good. Be that person. You know, let the word, let God take you to that place. You see, sometimes this is, our, this is our life. It's like a glove, you know. What do we use this glove for? To hit people. To complain. I don't like you. You know, you're no good. Why can't you change? But you know what? This hand, this glove, when it's in the hand of the Holy Spirit, doesn't work that way. It's love. That's the, the way, that's the way it works. God takes you where he wants you to, not where the glove is. The glove doesn't just sit there. It goes where the hand wants it to. And where the Lord wants it is in this place. I want to give you another example, and it's kind of embarrassing to say, but it's, you know, we're preaching Jesus and not me. Um, you know, we missionaries among ourselves sometimes have a hard time getting along with each other. There was... Somebody, and I'm saying this because you probably don't know who I'm talking about, and that's why I'm saying, you know, sometimes in a church, the pastor talks about a situation, and people are like, is it them, is it them, ah, you know, you know, no, nobody that you know here, but they, this, this, this person didn't really like me, right from the beginning in Taiwan, and um, one time, this, this person talked to my wife about all the bad things that I am, just basically, your husband is a basic jerk, overall, you know, and uh, it was just a bad situation, and she just kept 
talking and hammering in. And, you know, you know my wife, Kathy, you know, she cries. And, but she just kept, you know, and then afterwards she told me, oh, you know, so-and-so said this about you, and it was just bad, you know. I was angry about that, you know. We're Christians, and I'm not that bad, but why is she saying that? She just doesn't like me. Well, you know, I had a hard time with them, and eventually there was a transfer, and so we didn't see each other very much anymore, but the hurt was still there. So one time there was a, there was a uh, conference, and they were at the same conference, and I knew several months ahead of time, oh boy, they're going to be there. I don't like that. So they were there, and you know, we're trying as much as we could to be civil, you know what I mean? Civil, one of those, hi, how are you? You know, this kind of smile. But it wasn't easy. But I knew that's wrong because I'm a Christian. And I'm not just a I'm a Christian. I've also been sent by a church to, to, be a, to preach the gospel. And if I'm not living this way, that's just wrong. So one night I was out walking by myself. And God spoke to me. And that was one of those times where you just about hear it with your, boy, with your ears. And I, I was thinking about them, the couple actually, because both of them, we're kind of, I didn't like them. And um, I think God told me something. Love them. I didn't want to hear that. I wish God would have said, you know, I'll take care of them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smack them. But you just, you know, don't worry about it. I was hoping, but you know, God didn't say anything like that. Love them. You know what? I think I obeyed pretty much. Why do I say I think I obeyed? Because no one is completely uh, sure about what's in your heart. You know, God is the judge of that. But you know, since then, it's been light years better. We're, we're not in the same location anymore. But those, thi- those thoughts of, you know, oh, I could say this to them, and I could insult them in that way, and I could say, pretty much gone. They never, this woman never, ever apologized. She never apologized to my wife. Never. But God doesn't want you to wait until you hear an apology before you love. And that's just the way it works. You know what? I'm much more freer in that. That's, that's, that's the work of God in me, I think. That's God speaking. And when God speaks, things change. Things change in your heart. So the Bible says that uh, we have sometimes a reputation of being alive. Do you have a reputation of being alive? I hope you do. I hope there's life in there. Let it not be that this indictment is to you. You're dead. But not completely dead because in verse 2 it says, Wake up, strengthen what remains, and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. If this is you, you have hope. You have hope. So don't just say, well, they hurt me. They, they deserve punishment. They do. But that's not your problem. You are not the punisher. God will take care of that. And don't... Don't wish people to be punished by God because that's not a place you want to be. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. Let it be real. Let it not just be a form of godliness. Let it not just be a name. Let it be real. Let it be that, that the word of God is, is working in you to, to change, to be different. There's a verse in Hebrews chapter seven, sorry, chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. And that tells us this verse was spoken <clears throat> to the Israelites. And this, as those of you who have been in the faith for a number of years, you probably know uh, what happened. We know that the nation of Israel, they, were out, they went out of Egypt. God did miracles for them. Uh, ten miracles. 
He parted the Red Sea. They walked across dry land. They made it into the desert. God gave them manna to eat. There was some, somehow God every morning gave them food to eat on the ground. They collected it. They ate it. They ate it. They didn't like the food. They got boring uh, pretty quick. Uh, then God told them, I want you to go to the promised land. I will protect you. I will be there. I already parted the sea. This shouldn't be a problem. But you know what? They thought it was a problem. They didn't believe. The Israelites didn't believe. And they said, God, you won't be able to do it. And you don't have the power. And we hate the food. And we don't like your leader, Moses. Let's just go back to Egypt and forget the whole thing. But that was resisting the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wanted to lead them into the promised land. But they said, no, I don't think you can do it, God. Well, those verses were uh, used by the writer of Hebrews to talk to first century Christians. And these Hebrews, they were Jews. They knew the whole story from the time they were children. Those words of indictment were given against the Christians in the first century because some of them, they were Jews, and most of the Jewish community still rejected them. And they thought, well, maybe we should just go back to the old way. But the the word of God is this. It says, today if you hear his voice... Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me for 40 years saw, and for 40 years saw what I did. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And this word is not just given to first century people. It's given to people like us who live in the 21st century. If you hear his voice today, if you hear God speaking to you and say, you know, I need to repent. I need to stop hating that person. I need to get right with my father and mother. I need to get right with my children. I need to stop bad-mouthing my boss. These are the things that God wants. See, that's why we are the glove. And the glove goes where the hand wants. And the hand of the Holy Spirit wants us, wants to be filled, wants to, be, wants to fill us, and wants us to have love. And not, not like this. He wants us to be like this. He wants us to love. And that is his point. That's what he wants us to do. So if you hear his voice, you cannot say no. You should say yes. Say yes to the things of the Lord. So we are, we've been designed by God. We are his masterpiece. God is the hand, and we are the, we are the glove. We are the way that he wants to express himself. So say yes to his leading. Don't say no. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to talk. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Taiwan. But if this is, I want just for a minute or two, if you could just pray to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come before you knowing that you are our God. You love us. You've sacrificed for us. But often we don't obey you. We don't love you, and we don't love the people around us. Heavenly Father, we come before you with repentance. We know that you've saved us. We want to say yes to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We want to say yes to the direction you want us to go. We want to say no to the old ways. We don't want to just have a reputation for being in you. We want to really be in you, Lord. We want our church to be in you. We want the church in the United States to be a holy church, a church of your love and your forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, that you love us and you're leading us in the right direction. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen.